Hello, everybody. Welcome to Health Chatter. Today's episode is on cardiac rehab. We've got a wonderful guest with us. We'll get to that in, in a second. My name is Stan Shanley. I'm one of the co-hosts for the show, along with my other host for the show is, is Clarence Jones, who you'll be hearing from throughout this show as well. We've got a great crew that makes all these shows very, very successful for us. Our research crew includes Maddie Levine-Wolf, Aaron Collins, Deandra Howard, and Sheridan Nygaard. Sheridan also provides some marketing expertise for us. And then our production manager is Matthew Campbell, who makes sure all these shows get out to you, the listening audience. Our sponsor for this show is Human Partnership, which is a community health organization in, in the state of Minnesota. They do wonderful work, uh, community health-oriented work, and I highly recommend that you check out their website at humanpartnership.org, as well as our website at healthchatterpodcast.com. With that, I'd like to introduce our, our guest today is Dr. Randall Thomas, who's a professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic, Alex School of Medicine, and is a consultant in preventive cardiology at, at Mayo Clinic. His clinical research is focused primarily on preventive cardiology. And we'll get into the aspects of prevention, at the primary prevention and the secondary in our discussions, and also in, obviously, in cardiac rehab. He's held many leadership roles in, in this arena and is very, very well respected, not only at the state level, but also nationally as well. So Dr. Thomas, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us today. Great to be here with you. Thanks. Yeah. So, all right, let's start out, first of all, Cardiac rehab. Why don't you give us like a little bit of a historical perspective on cardiac rehab as it stands and, you know, kind of bringing us up to the present. Sure. Now, it's a really good place to start. Uh, it may seem pretty logical to us today that rehabilitation after a cardiac event just makes sense because it does. It hasn't always made sense. And uh, in fact, looking back into the uh, like in the early 1900s, even into the uh, mid-1900s, it was thought that activity in people with heart conditions was harmful. And um, it was, in fact, uh, advised against, in uh, most cases. A good uh, example of a turning point occurred when Dwight Eisenhower was serving as president of the United States, and he had a heart attack. And uh, all of his specialists gathered around him and said, okay, you need to he had bed rest for six months. He'd, uh, you know, tail back or curl, curl back on your, your, um, your uh, work at uh, in the White House. There's no way you can run for re-election, and um, you know you just need to kind of take it easy for the rest of your life. So he called in a, a specialist from Boston, Paul Dudley White, who was one of the grandfathers of preventive cardiology, and Paul Dudley White said, "No, um, actually, exercise is going to be good for you." You need to quit smoking and you need to be active and we're going to control your blood pressure with the medications that they had at the time. And he got him back, you know, more and more active. And you know, he certainly had some problems with his heart after that, but he was able to recover. And it was kind of a turning point for preventive cardiology in a way where people started to look at this 
opportunity. And there were studies at that time that started to look at some simple things like instead of having people at bed rest for six weeks in the hospital after a heart attack, let's have them sit up in a chair. Mm-hmm. And they found that people did better. And then they said, well, why don't we walk them up and down the hallway? And they did some studies along that those lines. And sure enough, people did better. They felt better, recovered quicker, got back to work quicker and so forth. And then they started to be even more bold and said, why don't we take it to the outpatient setting? And uh, the doctors at the time that were pursuing this were really, uh, they, they faced a lot of opposition. People thought it was too dangerous. These are people with heart conditions. Their hearts are going to burst. You know, there's all kinds of concerns. And sure enough, as they, they uh, implemented the program in the outpatient setting, they showed that it could be done safely and effectively. So that that's kind of taking you up to about 1980. From 1980 on, what started to become clear was that it was more than exercise. It was more than like the physical rehabilitation side of things. Uh, it's interesting that uh, physical therapy developed after the polio pandemic and after World War One and World War II, when there were so many people with debilitations, debilitating conditions, they needed help to recuper, recuperate. So cardiac rehabilitation kind of came in the shadows of that. But then in the 1980s, it was clear there was more to it than just getting people to be more active. Uh, that's when cholesterol and blood pressure and smoking and other risk factors became more clear and treatment for them became more um, available. And so from that point on, from the 1980s on, cardiac rehabilitation became more of a multi-dimensional program to implement a prevention program in individuals with heart disease. And that's the way it's continued until today that uh, uh, cardiac rehabilitation is really looked at as a a center of uh, secondary prevention, so to speak, or recovery after an event for individuals with heart disease. You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, you think about just about any kind of, of surgery, for instance, or an event, you think that um, everything's got to be rehabilitated somehow. You know, like for instance, somebody has a replaced knee, guess what? (laughs) You better do your exercises. Otherwise the recovery, frankly, is gonna be a lot slower for sure uh, that we saw in that arena. And, you know, similar in this. The other thing is, is that, you know, I think most people, you know, I think they realize that the heart is a muscle, okay? But on the other hand, when it's hurt, okay, when when you have a heart attack or when you have um, surgery, a stent, for instance, that, 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 that's put in, it's still a muscle and, and the muscle can get stronger really by working it even though it is it has been affected it still can can get to a, a better place going going forward so all right let's talk about all right you kind of brought us up to a certain point now let's talk about um you know based on your experience as a physician um what are some of the current goals for cardiac rehab 
Yeah, so cardiac rehabilitation, um, as I mentioned currently, is a, is a program to implement um, therapies of known benefit that help people recover after a cardiac event and do better, live longer, feel better, et cetera. And so the goals are really to help individuals with heart conditions to attain optimal levels of treatment and recovery and health. So that's in a, in a nutshell, those are the goals. So cholesterol control, blood pressure control, um, um, diabetes control, smoking cessation, uh, exercising, eating healthy foods, keeping trim, all those things that we know can be a benefit. So it's a systematic approach to implement those strategies in individuals with heart conditions. Where it's about. Yeah. So Dr. Thomas, thank you very much for being here. You know, interesting enough, I didn't even know about cardiac uh, rehabilitation until probably about, about six weeks ago. A guy called me up and asked me, because um, because I work in community, he asked me, how could he encourage uh, Black males to do more cardiac rehabilitation? Because they, they, they're just not they're not coming in. And in fact, they had like 35 sessions that they wanted them to do, and they weren't showing up. Why why don't we know more and more about this cardiac uh rehabilitation? Why aren't we talking more about it in, in terms of community? Uh because I think that, you know, just like for me, I've been I'm I'm 70 years old. I this is one of my first times hearing about this. What's up? Sure. Well, that is a great question. And uh uh it's not for lack of trying, but it's probably just a matter of you know the old adage for marketing seven times, seven different ways. I think we need to just keep at it and be more effective in what we're doing. Um, to tell you the truth, and uh, so when I, I started my career in, in, in training, when I when my interest in cardiac rehabilitation really caught fire, it was back in the 1980s with John Cantwell down in Atlanta. Um, at that time, it was it was not even on anybody's radar. Really, it was it was uh, essentially unknown except for by a few people who had an interest in that area. Um, and then you fast forward to today, and now the American College of Cardiology, American Heart Association, and other national organizations and international organizations are all in. I mean, they they see the importance, see the benefits, they're pushing for it, or you know, working with congressional leaders to improve coverage mm -hmm. and, and, uh, and the reach of cardiac rehabilitation. But the marketing and the, the messaging still is not as effective as it could be. Generally, mm -hmm. people will hear about it after they've had an event or after a family member's had an event and somebody mm -hmm. visits them in the hospital and says, hey, you should go to cardiac rehabilitation. You'll do better. You'll feel better. You'll live longer. And that's when people usually hear about it. There are, there are messaging campaigns that are going on through the organizations that I mentioned, but uh, we can always do better in getting the reach further into all of our communities. And, and we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about uh, utilization of rehabilitation, particularly in certain populations, because that's a extremely important uh, topic. Okay. So yeah. let, let's, let's play this out a little bit. Um, I had a dear friend who um, had to have a, um, a stent put in. And um, one of the things, you know, and she contacted me 
afterwards and she said, Stan, what about, she, this, this basically was the question, what about cardiac rehab? And so my answer was, do it, just do it. Don't, don't fool around, do it. And then one of the, one of the major um, concerns that she had was communication between her cardiologist and her primary care provider. Okay, so that there's a linkage of information flow going forward. Do you deal with that? Yeah, absolutely. And so as part of the requirements of cardiac rehabilitation programs, they are to not only make assessments periodically during the patient's program, they do that at least every 30, 30 days. It's a three-month program. But they also communicate that information to the uh, referring provider or providers. Um, in addition, as things come up, you know, intolerance to medications, uh, new symptoms, uh, those are communicated directly back to the provider. So the, the cardiac rehabilitation professionals really are disease managers and they their care coordinators in many ways, a really key part to what they do. Uh, one of the benefits of cardiac rehabilitation, one of many, um, in fact, if you look at any outcome you can look at, you can find research to show benefits of cardiac rehabilitation in those outcomes. But one of them is uh, adherence to medication. We did a study here a few years ago, and we looked at adherence to important medications after a heart attack. So like beta blockers and aspirin and cholesterol medication and so forth, things that help you to do better. And we found, and this was among a group of patients that had insurance, they had uh, good coverage, they had good care, and 34% continued to take all of their medications at three years, hmm. 34%. Um, the only thing that predicted um, better adherence was if they participated in cardiac rehabilitation. And a few studies have found mm. this now. And it just, it makes sense, you know, for those of us who work in the field, you know, you see patients are coming in, they don't have the right medications. So you help them get on them or they're on medications and they're having side effects. And instead of them stopping them, you help them get on the right doses as you communicate with the providers, the, the primary providers. So there's definitely a lot of communication going back and forth. And one of the key things I think to cardiac rehabilitation is a communication link. So let, let's play this out. You know, go ahead, Clarence. So then yeah, I got a play out situation here. Yeah. 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 I uh, I'm gonna get back to my to my uh, initial uh, uh, comment about my how I was initially introduced to the topic. Uh, I see that with cardio. Uh, rehabilitation, you have about 25 sessions? Oh, typically, 25, it's, typically, it's 36 sessions. It's three per week uh, for 12 weeks generally. But some some uh, uh, programs is a little bit less than that. But, yeah, and some do a little bit more. Okay, so, but but is that in the hospital? I mean, where people have to go to the hospital, they can't do it at home? Um, that's a good question. And that that's a whole topic in and of itself, too. We, okay. we'll, we'll talk about that. So home-based rehabilitation is an option. And uh, so it's, it's it's basically a three-month program is one way to look at it. Okay. Right? So if you're coming into the center, center-based program, you come in three times a week for 12 weeks. A home-based program, you would do home-based um, you know, rehabilitation 
with some connections, either by phone or video, sometimes in person. And you do that also for about a 12-week period. So Okay. Okay. So, yeah. all right. It, it, does that depend upon um, the type of an event that a patient has? So um, if it's heart attack or if it's surgical or if it's... Um, Let's even go to the to the the, the ultimate end, uh, you know, a transplant. How how is that determined? Yeah. So another good question. Medicare, as it's reviewed all of the data, and the data is in all fields of medicine. It's not complete, of course. We have we can always have more, but based on Medicare's review, they determined that for for seven conditions. Uh, 36 sessions would be covered. So the 12 week, uh, 36 sessions, they would cover. So it's it's the same coverage for all the the uh, conditions. So it's, you know, as you would imagine, heart attack, stenting, um, bypass surgery, bowel surgery, transplant, um, heart failure, and uh, angina, stable angina. Um, they also covered for peripheral disease, you know, the PAD, the uh, disease in the legs. But anyway, they they cover the same program. Each program is individualized. So say a, a bypass surgery patient comes in for the first six weeks, they're doing things a little differently than someone who's had a heart attack and put, had a stent put in. Mm -hmm. If someone with surgery, who had their chest open as part of the procedure, their sternum is going to be um, healing over several weeks. So we make sure we help them through that recovery in a in, you know, different way than say a heart attack patient would be doing. But the timing and the coverage is really similar. The implementation of the program is individualized according to the patient's uh, own needs. So who provides the care? Are, are they actual physicians? Are they a cardiac rehab therapists? Who, who, who would I be seeing if I had an event and I needed to do cardiac rehab? Who would I be seeing? Yeah, and this is one of the great things about cardiac rehabilitation too. It's a team. And uh, so the physicians are there to help uh, assess patients, make sure they're stable, assess any problems they're having along the way, make sure the program is safe. Um, there are nurses that help with those assessments and implementation of the program, checking patients as they come in. And we have exercise physiologists, clinical exercise physiologists who are trained to do exercise therapy in patients with heart disease. We have dietitians, we have social workers and psychiatrists who help us in the psychological aspect of recovery. Um, we have physical therapists who help us because a large percentage of our patients have hip pain and knee pain and <laughs> other limitations. We connect with sleep specialists and diabetes specialists and hypertension specialists. So you know, we're connecting all throughout, but the people who deliver the care actually are mainly the exercise physiologists and the nurses, at least here in the United States. In other countries, it varies somewhat. Um, in many, many countries around the world, physicians have more of a hands-on role and nurses. And so in some countries, more physical therapists take over and help with this. But here in the United States, it's primarily uh, exercise physiologists and nurses who help. So when I come to the clinic, I'm using me as, a, as kind of a guinea pig here. I come to a to a um, a clinic for um, my first 
cardiac rehab. And who meets me at the door? Is it the exercise physiologist? Is it all 10 of those people that you just mentioned? I mean, who literally beats me at the door? Yeah, usually the nurse will be the one to meet the patient. I mean, we have a, a desk person, of course, to check people in. Right, right, the, yeah. The per person who helps with the evaluation initially, usually the nurse. And the exercise physiologists work together uh, with the uh, nurses. The nurse does a medical evaluation, and uh, in, in many centers, a physician does part of that or all of that. Um, and then the, you know, the team approaches some assessments done initially to see where they are, what their needs are, kind of baseline functioning and, and needs and so forth. And then those are tracked over time and repeated so we can measure progress. And those um, repeated measurements are done by the same people too. But the, the team members are introduced along the way as needed. Um, dietitian, uh, our, our patients all see a dietitian at least once. And for those who need a lot of help, I'll see them more than that. Um, and for those who, and we do some initial evaluation for depression, which is a very common uh, thing after a heart attack. Um, for those who have depression, we make sure they get plugged in for evaluation and management uh, for those needs. Uh, same thing for sleep apnea, diabetes, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So depending on their needs, after that initial assessment, we'll uh, design a treatment plan for them to help them get in to receive the care that they need. And uh, But there's always and, that one point of entry, right. you know, at the desk, I guess, <laughs> that, and then you kind of go from there. Yeah. And I'll just point out one thing, that one of the great things about the team approach and the, the multidisciplinary approach, several studies have shown that people who participate in cardiac rehabilitation are less likely to be hospitalized during the year after a heart attack. That's an important quality measure. It not only tells us that the patients are doing better, but also that the care that's been given is uh, assuming a higher quality, right? Yeah. So what's interesting though is in cardiac, for those who go to cardiac rehabilitation, they're less likely to be hospitalized for cardiac reasons as well as non-cardiac reasons. And it only makes sense because it's a multidisciplinary approach. So we help to identify you know, lung issues or diabetes issues or other things that might land them back in the hospital, but with the help of our team can often pick that up and, and reduce the chance of that happening. That's great. So, you know, one thing I alluded to, um, you know, before we started the show is um, in the case for, for cardiac rehab, we're really dealing with a secondary prevention, you know, the acute treatment and kind of the in, into the disease management end of things. It's a, in most situations, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's after there has been an event of some sort. Or, or, or a dire need. Is cardiac rehab or does cardiac rehab focus on primary prevention? In other words, okay, use me as the guinea pig here. Stan hasn't had an event. Stan is on a uh, cholesterol medication and he takes uh, aspirin and hasn't fortunately had an event. Would Stan benefit from Cardiac rehab. Yes. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, these principles reduce the risk of future heart problems, and they're applied to people with known heart disease, mainly because that's the targeted audience and, and, and clientele, and it's uh, the, 
you know, the services covered through insurance carriers and so forth. But uh, in reality, those principles apply to everybody, you know, exercise, health eating, et cetera. Right. That's going to help us all to do better. Um, if you look at, uh, there's a, a concept of number needed to treat that you may have talked about in this show before. So how many people do you need to treat with a given therapy to save one life, right? And for cardiac rehabilitation, it, it'll vary somewhat, but it's anywhere from about, you know, 15 to 50 uh, people needing to be treated to save a life. And for many, that's in the secondary prevention realm. So we're trying to avoid those second events. For the primary prevention, where we're trying to avoid the first events. Right. It's going to be about, you know, 150 to 300 people treated to save one life. So that's because people generally, you know, are lower risk than those who've had an event already. So you need to treat more people to have the, you know, to save that one life. But it's still beneficial and still very important. There are many uh, programs, many cardiac rehabilitation, cardiac rehabilitation programs that offer primary prevention options to people. Interesting. Uh, so they're like diabetes, people with diabetes, uh, there's diabetes prevention programs and diabetes management programs. Um, and it, when we talk about the future opportunities for rehabilitation, that's right square in the middle. And we, we sometimes call that prehabilitation, uh, <laughs> where you, right. you take yeah. care of it before the event. Um, and actually, it's even been shown for people who need heart surgery. If you rehabilitate them before surgery, they're going to do better after surgery. Um, yeah. So, so there's a, there's a lot of opportunity along those lines, and uh, we need to find, and this is true for secondary prevention too. We need to find more effective, cheaper ways to do things for everybody, and because we can all benefit. So you said um, if somebody has an event, typically. Um, Medicare covers, what did you say, 36? Usually 36 sessions. 36, okay. All right, so now let's talk about the primary prevention. What would they cover? How many sessions would they cover in that arena? They, they would cover 36 fewer sessions. <laughs> okay, so there's our problem, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so th there are some uh, more forward-thinking uh, third-party payers that are covering primary prevention rehabilitation, particularly yeah. for people with diabetes. Um, so that that's happening, but it's it's and there are some demonstration projects through Medicare too that have looked at this. But um, but a lot of the private insurers are doing this more and more. Yeah. So do you ever connect with like, um, or is there a potential to connect with um, programs that exist out in the community, like Silver Sneakers, for instance? Yeah, absolutely. So when patients graduate from our program at that three-month mark, yeah. um, you know, we and we remind them that their rehabilitation doesn't stop. In fact, I like to remind people at that point, you're graduating and now you're going to graduate school. You're gonna <laughs> you're gonna be working on your PhD and getting a healthy heart. And so connecting to silver sneakers, connecting to other uh, you know groups in the community are a key part to that. There are churches that help with this too. The mm -hmm. um, Princess Brewer, who I think you know from our group, yep, yep. has helped to do that too, and uh, many of the uh, churches uh, in in the area, and uh, that that's a great connection too. So we look for those connections. Some programs actually do provide a longer term 
um, option. It's called a maintenance program where people pay out of their pocket to come in. They don't get quite the same level of, you know, attention as it did during the earlier part, but they're there to exercise and, you know, ask questions and check their blood pressure and so forth. So that does exist yeah. in some centers too. So Clarence, you know, in the community that you you work with, um, is there clarity around cardiac rehab or the need for it? You're on mute. There is no clarity and very little conversation about it. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I thought this was so exciting. Well, because first of all, you know, somebody brought it up to me. And then the the key piece for me was, you know, if people, you know, people, we we, talk, we, we talked about the statistic of people who, first of all, they don't join in. They, they, they won't start, but then they won't, then they also won't complete the 36 sessions. Is there a... <clears throat> Uh, do we need to adjust the programming? I mean, what 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 is it? I mean, because I'm agreeing with you that it's important, but what is it that causes us to have such a huge gap? So that's a great question. That gets a nice segue into the question of, you know, what are the uh, what are the challenges and the barriers mm -hmm. to rehabilitation? Mm -hmm. um, I've already mentioned. If you look at any outcomes, if you look at things like. Um, recurrent heart attacks, cholesterol control, blood pressure control, smoking rates, medication adherence, rehospitalization, uh, death rates, all better. You know, de depression scores, all better. Um, so why then don't we have 100% participation, right? It seems like it's a, it'd be a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. um, it's actually not too surprising, though, that we don't. If you look at almost any therapy, almost anything we do in medicine, uh, it's not perfect. In fact, if you look at cholesterol control, um, something like you know twenty-five to thirty percent of people who are, who need to have their cholesterol control have their cholesterol controlled to appropriate level. So it's it's not unusual that we have gaps. It's unfortunate though. So in cardiac rehabilitation, it's been studied a lot. Um, the percentage of people this is in the Medicare population mm -hmm. percentage who participate in cardiac rehabilitation of those who are eligible about 25%, mm -hmm. that's among all comers. Then if you look among women, it's about half that, among social and, and racial uh, uh, minority groups, about uh, seven to you know, 10%. Mm -hmm. And this has, been, this has been pointed out, and this has been worked on for many, many years, <laughs> and uh, been part of many groups who've been working on this. Uh, so, we do see, so for example, I mentioned the, the buy-in in recent years, the major organizations, uh, the CDC and uh, Medicare have uh, formed something called Million Hearts, which is mm -hmm. an organization that is aimed to save a million lives per year from uh, heart problems. And cardiac rehabilitation is a major focus of that group. So they've helped to, to gather business leaders and you know educational leaders, researchers, uh, patient groups, and really making some good headway. And for the first time, as we looked at kind of changes over time, we're seeing some improvements. Mm -hmm. So after heart attack uh, and stenting, and after heart attack and bypass surgery, that, those combinations from about 1990 till about 2020, 
we've seen a near doubling of participation rates. It's still way below where we need to be, but it's much, much better. There are some groups where it's still not going up. For example, if you have a heart attack and no procedure, it's not looking good still. <laughs> it looks right, like right. procedures were more tuned in on, you know, plugging people into these uh, protocols. But on the uh, on the on the other end, you know, how do we how do we expand the reach to get to more people? Because you know, if I have to go into a, a cardiac rehabilitation center, particularly if, say say I live in in New York City, or I live in a major metropolitan city. It's going to take me, you know, an hour to get to the center and an exercise and an hour to get home. I'm not going to do that. Right. Um, or if a, a program, the closest program to me, I live in the rural areas, is say the closest program is an hour away. I'm not going to do that either. Mm -hmm. So over the years, home-based rehabilitation has been studied right. and right. has been shown to be effective. In fact, in my, in my fellowship back in 1990, a long time ago, uh, when I was at Stanford, we did, I was part of a, a group that did a project looking at home-based rehabilitation and found it to be very effective. And that that uh, model has been implemented through the Kaiser Permanente system in California uh, very effectively. It's not effectively covered elsewhere, unfortunately, yet. Uh, during the pandemic, uh, when we all shifted to home-based care, yeah, uh, yeah. home-based rehabilitation was covered temporarily by Medicare. Now it's not. It's, it's going away. So we're trying to get that covered again so we can have home-based options. It's not the only thing that we need. but it's Was it effective, though? I mean, was was the home-based uh, rehabilitation, was it effective? I mean, oh, yeah. I mean yeah. yeah. In I fact, mean, so... there's, there's some studies showing it may be more effective. Uh, the, there's a study out of Australia, for example, a few years ago that showed that people are actually more likely to complete cardiac rehabilitation at home. Mm. And it makes sense. Yeah, well, I think you know it's really really interesting because as you were talking about you know the 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 time that's being spent you know with the thirty six sessions time being spent you know by the time you talk about travel and you talk about right. the, you know getting dressed getting undressed and things like that that's almost like a job yeah. I mean and I realize that 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 you, you taking care of your health is very very important for you you know and I think that um, it's it's just it's just a a thought in my mind about is there a way to to help people to understand the importance of that, uh, and then to recognize that the time the time spent is well worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know the logistics point. of it gets gets in the way. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. know you you know access to clinics and care. You know, and <laughs> and travel, et cetera. So you know, one thing I do want to bring up is um, the linkage of the whole concept of cardiac rehab with public health. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, which has kind of been near and dear to my heart all these years. So um, just recently, and maybe you made, were made aware of it, the, um, the department of health, it was on uh, just a, a week or so ago, um, came out with a report that, uh, you know, Minnesotans are missing out on life-saving cardiac rehab opportunities. And, some of the findings that they that they found, and by the way, this was just based, I, I believe, on 2017 data, but it always takes a while to get all the data in and analyze. But less than a half of qualified patients initiated cardiac rehab within one year of a qualifying event. 
I mean, that that's, in my mind, that's kind of frightening. Adults ages 45 to 64 years were more most likely to initiate cardiac rehab. Older adults, over 85, were 48% less likely to to initiate. Yeah, okay, definitely. and you know, it's and so it's like, and it, and it kind of goes on. And women, for instance, are ten percent less likely to participate in cardiac rehab than than men, which is kind of counter to what I would normally think. It seems to me that you know women are kind of more, shall we say, a little bit more health conscious overall, but in this case, um, not. So. My question to you, Randy, is this. Um, where do you see a place for um, the clinical aspects meeting on the bridge with public health in order to expand cardiac rehab messaging and implementation? Uh, that's exactly where it needs to go, definitely. Um, and that's, I think, where we're getting out with a million hearts uh, work. Yeah, that's yeah, been going yeah. On for a while, right? Yeah. Um, and and the CDC is really, really, really committed to this. I know you mentioned here in Minnesota that um, you worked with the CDC on on some of this before too. Mm -hmm. But the CDC is very invested in this, which has been a great thing to see. And uh, there's some real champions at the CDC and Medicare and and uh, really in the in the government. That that's they, they kind of get this more, and so so making um, coverage of rehabilitation a higher priority is one one way that can come into be of course, and then especially looking at alternative methods of delivery being covered, and that's also being um, pursued very aggressively, you know through national uh, uh, coverage uh, policies, and then. Um, allowing other health professionals to be part of the, the equation. So uh, nurse practitioners and others who can serve as medical uh, supervisors of a rehabilitation program, particularly for the critical access hospitals that may not have doctors around. So all those things, that those are all parts of things that are happening to try to expand um, in the reach of cardiac rehabilitation. I'll mention a couple of others very briefly because uh, there's some internal things that we can do and definitely some external things. Internally, so for example, if you provide incentives to people, they would be more likely to come to rehabilitation and participate. Give me a and, for instance. Yeah, so uh, some simple, I'll give you a simple one and a more complex one. Simple mm -hmm. one, we did, we published on this a few years ago. So we did some very simple things. So at, at key time points, at, at session 10, at session 20, at session 36, so a patient gets a T-shirt, they get a water bottle, you know, they they get a book on nutrition mm -hmm. as a, a complete rehabilitation, and they get encouragement along the way. And we found a significant improvement in completion rates and participation rates. Uh, that's a simple thing. And um, a more complex way to do it was studied in Vermont, actually. Uh, you are talking about Medicaid patients before, too, and this was done in Medicaid patients in Vermont, Phil Adis and his group, what they did was they took a group of patients who are Medicaid recipients who needed cardiac rehabilitation. That's among the lowest of the low participation rates 
uh, of all the groups I've mentioned. Um, and they built into the program and the incentive group. So the intervention group received incentives. They were financial incentives. So they received about $25 per session. And then once they graduated, it was like $150, you know, some, some mm -hmm. incentives. And they found that the participation rates went out the roof for those who are in the incentive group. And they found not only that, uh, I think they were getting ready to publish these data, they found that the overall cost to the healthcare system was less in the people receiving the incentives because they were doing better, staying out of the hospital, staying healthier. So, so those are some examples of some internal things that, that we can do potentially. Uh, we've also looked at some things like report cards, uh, mm -hmm. performance measures, and we, we helped to put together some performance measures so that hospitals and medical groups are graded based on how well uh, they do at getting people into cardiac rehabilitation. And that helped a little bit. That's helped a little bit. At least the referral to patients uh, to heart cardiac rehabilitation has helped. You know, um, we have a, a colleague, um, and, and you do too, Dr. Uh, LaPrentice Brewer, down at, at Mayo there. And um, and we've had her on the show, um, and Clarence and I have been involved with her faith work, uh, working in churches with the African-American population. Um, and, you know, my question to you is, is, does cardiac rehab use apps, like on phones, or um, devices, you know, such as, you know, a cardia you know, device or an Apple Watch or those types of, of things to um, aid in the cardiac rehab. Yeah. And this, this is kind of getting into the future of yeah. cardiac rehabilitation and, and really the, the present as well. Um, so, uh, yes, there are um, options. In fact, there's a growing number of companies who are getting into this uh, arena. Uh, there are apps, there are, you know, online uh, options. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, there's um, there's some things that help with center-based care, and there's some things that help with home-based care, and there's some that do both. It's a more of a hybrid approach, which I think is going to be the way to go in the future, where you get some benefits of group interaction in person, but the convenience of home and still some interactions and so forth. But there are, there are different... Uh, um, applications and, and uh, programs are available to use for patients. Now, in, um, in 1990, when we did the, uh, the project, it was called the MultiFit study. Mm -hmm. that, the device we used at that time, we were, the nurses that, that carried out the program, they used a phone, a telephone. That was the device we used. And that, that works. You know, a simple telephone connection with patients can work. There is a there are devices such as a smartwatch. Mm -hmm. So you can pre-program a smartwatch and make it so that everything is there. You give the patient the watch, they go home with it, and, and the watch you know, communicates with them every day, helps them to kind of go through their uh, rehabilitation, et cetera. Um, and it can help in many different ways very simply. The problem with some of the electronics and the apps that are available can be pretty complicated for many people. Yeah. And so trying to find a simple way to do that is going to be key and a yeah. cheap way to do it too. So you don't have to buy 
you know, fancy equipment or, you know, pay for a new phone line or anything. So, right. But it's right. happening, definitely happening. Yeah. So, Clarence, what do you think about all this? You're on mute. Good to do that. I wasn't snoring. Um, I, you know, this is this is quite interesting. Uh, again, I'm I'm very intrigued by, you know, expanding the conversation in my community about this, especially in light of the fact that um, so many people are impacted by this, but yet we don't have a conversation about this. And so, uh, I'm really looking forward to you know maybe some additional conversations about about cardio rehab uh, because I think. I, I think that what you, what you've said and information that we've seen is that this is a very important, especially because we know that heart disease, cardiovascular disease is the second leading cause of death. I mean, this is a big thing, and and yet at the same time, it's not something that uh, that I am, am as, as familiar or want to be as familiar with it as as uh, as possible. So that's those are my thoughts, man. This is a great this is a great conversation, great things for me to think about in terms of the work that we do in community. And, you know, and, and we have to, and one of the things, you know, generally speaking, the state of Minnesota is a heart healthy state. Right. Okay. But, but yeah, but we have disparities and, um, and I'm, I'm guessing that the cardiac rehab arena adds to the disparities, especially if people aren't taking advantage of them. So um, going well, that's forward, forward yeah. that's an important message. Yeah, and Sam, in fact, even for us with faith, I mean, right. I, you know, it would be great to have some of that information attached to the things that we're doing as well, because we, that that's that's our lane. Right, and, right. Uh, this is something that we could provide additional information for. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Dr. Brewer is a good one to, that she works with us down here uh, pretty closely in and some new innovative ways to deliver rehabilitation too. So Absolutely, she, yeah. She's, she's a great, great colleague, great colleague. Yeah. So, um, Randy, last thoughts. Yeah, the um, I guess what what I would just say is that uh, it's been very uh, encouraging to see the progress over time mm -hmm. of rehabilitation and its acceptance and identification of it as a, a critically important uh, therapy that is being underutilized. It's probably the uh, largest gap in delivery in uh, cardiovascular care today. Um, uh, you, you, I mean, apart from the disparities uh, mm -hmm. that we've already talked about from, from social and, and racial reasons, but the cardiac rehabilitation uh, is one of the biggest gaps in care that we have today. So it deserves our attention. I and think that it, and hopefully say, these these types of, of of mechanisms, you know, through um, podcasts and different ways to communicate with with people, will heighten, will help to heighten the the awareness of it and the importance of it going forward. Yep, absolutely. And I would just say we need to have the same courage that our colleagues did back in the 1950s when they said hey, you know, the, the status quo is just not doesn't seem right we shouldn't be keeping people at bed rest for six weeks <laughs> let's let's try something new yeah and uh, so we need to have that same courage 
to look outside the status quo and just keep finding better ways to do things. And fortunately, there's a lot of people in the, in the arena in this uh, area who are trying to do that. And I look, uh, as I mentioned to our trainees and our patients and, and professionals in the field, this is the best time uh, to be in the field of cardiac rehabilitation as a professional and as a patient. Never been better. Yeah. This is a great time. We have a lot of work to do still, but never been better. And, you know, that's encouraging. That's really encouraging just yep. to know that, that there's enough interest in it professionally to really drive it, drive it forward. Last thought, Clarence. Thank you, Dr. Uh, Thomas, for, for being here. And uh, we look forward to having you back again. I think it's a great, great conversation to uh, uh, to be engaged in. And after I find out more from my community about it, we need to talk again. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Just let me know. Happy to happy to help in any way. With, yeah, know. when whenever there's updates, yeah, just yeah. just give us give us a holler, and we'll be happy to have you on on Health Chatter once again. So yeah. thank you for being with us, everybody. Happy holidays coming up to to everybody. We have lots of great shows in line for us for 2024. So stay tuned for all of those and keep health chatting away. Oh,